When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You, you know, you need energy efficiency when hosting a podcast, but you also need energy efficiency if you want the most out of your windows and doors. You know, I'm on Pella's website right now, and how about this? I'm looking at not one, not two, not three, not four, but five different types of window or doors by Pella that won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big time right there. For more information on how Pella can make your home more comfortable and energy efficient, check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my friends at Runza. And, you know, listen, I, I mean, I... I think there's some people out there that aren't getting their Runza game right. And, you know, I mean, how dare you? First of all, Runza's the best. And, you know, it's Husker football season. I mean, Runza and Husker football go hand in hand. So you need to make that uh, that that change immediately. Drop everything you're doing right now and get to Runza. You can get you a, a homemade Runza, get you a burger, get some of the best fries in the world, or even some double-dipped onion rings, maybe even both. Get you a drink to wash it all down. Uh, it's it's frankly going to help the Husker football program. That's uh, that's what that's what they tell me. So stop by Runza and tell them your friend Nick Ba sent you. Uh, reminder: Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Just click that subscribe button. Really helps me out, but it also helps you out too. Subscribing makes sure that you don't miss any of the podcasts when they drop. Obviously, we got Husker football in full swing. We're knocking that coverage out of the park. College basketball is just around the corner. We are under one month away from college hoops, and I'll have you totally covered for all things Creighton as they defend their Big East regular season conference title. And year two of Fred Hoiberg at Nebraska should be a much better season for Hoiberg's Huskers. So make sure you subscribe. That way you don't miss any of the pods. Okay, on the pod today... Former Husker quarterback Joe Gans, perfect guy to bring on to talk some football. And this was a really, really good conversation. We we touched on a lot. We dive into to Joe's coaching career and his coaching journey. He was obviously at Nebraska as a graduate assistant after he played. Then he followed Pelini to Youngstown State. And right now, he is currently the wide receivers coach at Northern Iowa. So it's really fun to pick his brain on his coaching journey and just different coaching tidbits. Plus, we also dive into his thoughts on Nebraska and uh, and, and in particular, what it was like playing at Nebraska for him. Because he was, he was in a, a pretty epic quarterback battle in 2007 where he lost that quarterback battle to Sam Keller but eventually assumed the starting quarterback spot, and then we all know what happened. The dude balled out for the final handful of games in 2007, and the 2008 was a record-setting season for Gans at that quarterback spot. But we, we touch on a lot of interesting football things. What fans may not realize about play calling, how he views the Bo Pelini era at Nebraska, how challenging it is to play quarterback without a deep threat, what he likes about Scott Frost as a coach, and even some fun questions like, most fun former Husker teammate to party with. So we, that was a, it's a good answer. You're going to like that one. So we cover a lot. 
Uh, this was this was really good. So let's get to it. Here is my podcast chat with former Husker quarterback Joe Gans. Enjoy. Well, he's uh, he's he's Joe Gans, number twelve in your program, but he's certainly number one in my heart. Former Nebraska quarterback, coached for four <laughs> years on staff at Nebraska, was on staff at Youngstown State with Bo Pelini, working with the tight ends and the quarterbacks, and now he's currently the wide receivers coach at Northern Iowa. Joey, do you want to? I mean, we can talk. We could talk about football, or we can, you know, we can talk about the Chicago Bulls for thirty minutes. We can talk <laughs> about good Bo Rude stories. Like, where where do you want to go with this? Hey, man, I'm a, I'm just a guest, so you tell me. <laughs> I got I got the range to talk about whatever you want to talk about. I, I let, let's talk about your coaching journey because it's I. It's been I've been wanting to pick your brain for like five six years here. So how, well, first of all, how did you end up in Northern Iowa? I mean, I know Bo Pelini takes the LSU defensive coordinator position. How did you end up at UNI? I really kind of just got lucky. Um, you know, I was talking to you know Coach Watson. He called me. You know, obviously when we were uh, not retained at Youngstown when Bo left, um, he he called me just to check in, and you know we got to talking and. He asked me about the league and the conference because he was up for the Missouri State head coaching job. And he was just asking about it. And he's like, I'm actually, you know, at UNI right now, kind of talking to the guys about offensive philosophy and doing all that type of stuff. Uh, you know, and then fast forward, I think a week or so, they hired Petrino and they had an opening here at UNI for a quarterback, kind of like an assistant head coach job, which Coach Farley and Coach Watson have known each other for a long time. And so Watts took it, called me, said he was going to take it. And then when he got here, he said that they had a wide receiver job still open right. to see if I'd be interested in it. And at that point, you know, I was like applying to Target and Walmart <laughs> just to have health insurance for my kids. Sure. So um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like, absolutely, Watts. You know, they've been such a historically good program. Yeah. And you look at the coaches that have come from this staff recently under coach Farley the last 20 years, you know, it's a, it's a tremendous opportunity. And I was like, absolutely. And he's like, well, they've interviewed five wide receiver coaches so far and haven't found the right fit. Um, so he's like, they'll, you know, bring you in in a, you know, a couple of days for an interview. I came in, interviewed with coach Farley for about four to five hours, uh, interviewed for or with their offensive coordinator for another two that day. Then the next morning came back and interviewed with Coach Farley for an additional two hours in the morning. And then uh, I went on my way and he called me in about two days later and offered me the job. So, wow. uh, yeah, that was in March, right before right before all this COVID stuff kind of hit. So I was actually the last hire at UNI before they kind of froze everything. So right. I got I got pretty lucky in yeah. terms of of all that type of stuff. Uh, obviously, you know, my wife and I were expecting our second child in April. So I, you know, I kind of, the timing really worked out for me in terms of being able to get in right before they put the freeze on everything and, uh, and then end up in such a, you know, historically really, really good program, which, you know, obviously our head coach in Nebraska came from and, yep. and spent, a, you know, good years here. So, there's a lot of tradition in terms of, you know, the coaching staff that has gone on to do to do really good things. And it's a well-respected program. So I was just I was very fortunate and things just kind of, you know, wound up working out for me. So what's it what's it like right now? Because you, your guys this season got moved to the spring and I think you guys have been practicing for about a month. It looks like you'll play your first game is going to be February 20th. I guess what's like what's the biggest challenge with this situation right now? 
you know, keeping the kids not motivated, but, you know, letting them know that, you know, that end goal of actually playing when they see all these other programs playing in the fall yeah. right now, you know, that their time is coming. Um, you know, that, I think that's the hardest part is just really working on the psyche of your players that you go practice, you know, we practice three days a week, we meet three days a week. Uh, and then, you know, they go home Saturday after practice and they have to watch everybody else play college football. So it's, you know, it's really, that's kind of been the most challenging part is not keeping them motivated, but keeping them in a good mindset and a good psyche of, okay, there is an end goal. We are going to play, you know, come February, but it's hard for them to go home on Saturday after practice and see everybody playing and, you know, realize that we're basically having spring practice waiting for our February season, which as a football player and as an athlete, Nick, you know, you're all about, you know, having that same schedule. Sure. You, know, you want to be regimented. You want to be scheduled. And, and even for a coach, you, you know, the first week we were off and games were playing, I was like a lost puppy. I didn't know what to do with my life. <laughs> right. I, was, I ended up, I ended up buying NFL Sunday tickets so I could be a, a rabid Bears fan for <laughs> once in my you. life and watch every game. But I was like, this is, it's just weird. So yeah. I think that's been the most challenging part is just working on the psyche of, of these kids. And, you know, they haven't had a meaningful game or meaningful practice for a game since, you know, their last playoff, you know, loss. So, and I think that was all the way back in December. So that's, that was, that's probably the biggest challenge that we've had so far. Um, you know, everything, not football related, just, you know, making sure these kids are in the, a good state of mind, you know, mentally and emotionally. Joe, I, you know, I'm curious, you know, for me in, in basketball, transferring from the big 12 at Kansas to Missouri Valley school at Creighton at the time, I always told people the biggest difference was kind of size at each position and then the big guys. Like Big 12 fours and fives were much bigger and more athletic than than Missouri Valley Conference fours and fives. But I actually thought that the guard play wasn't enormously different. Like good guards are kind of everywhere. What about football? From the Big 12 and the Big 10 level to the FCS level, what is what specifically is the biggest difference between those two levels? I would say depth. Probably the most. I think it's probably opposite of basketball in terms of it's harder to find elite skill level guys here. And if you do, you dominate. I believe and I'm I'm talking about, you know, the top FCS programs like North Dakota State, uh, South Dakota State, a JMU. I think up front and from a size aspect, North Dakota State is as good as, you know, anybody that you'll find that's not maybe Alabama or Georgia or Clemson. I mean, the type of guys that they have and, and the athletes that they have up front. I mean, shoot, there was we lost one of our offensive tackles to the NFL, uh, you know, who ended up going to opt out. North Dakota State did the same thing. They're going to be, you know, first or if not second day picks. And these kids are, you know, they're all 6'8", 6'9", 320 pounds who can move. So, but you don't find the elite depth at skill position. That makes sense. Um, that's That's probably the biggest thing that I saw kind of, you know, going down, I think once, you know, 11 on 11, you know, that we're pretty equal in terms of, I mean, you see it all the time with, you know, there's not a whole bunch of, you know, FBS programs that are knocking down the door of the Missouri Valley to play them in their, you know, non-conference games, because you see the success that teams like Iowa and, you know, we've had against teams yeah. like Iowa State, State. Iowa, all yep. those. So it's, you know, it's, that thing, I think that's the biggest 
the biggest difference is the, the depth of the, the skill position guys where you might have one or two wide outs or one or two running backs where at a place like Nebraska, you'll have five or six of those guys that could, you know, on a given day can go dominate a game. What's it been like to coach different positions than the one you played? I mean, you've been a quarterback coach, but now you worked with the tight ends at Youngstown State. Now you're working with the wide receivers. Like, what's that? What's that been like for you? It's been awesome. In terms, selfishly, for my career going forward, it's been yeah, incredible. Right. Um, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed coaching tight ends probably the most because you're involved in every aspect of football. You know, you. You're, you're watching nine on seven inside run and, and, you know, teaching the physicality of the game. And, and that's something that, you know, I always thought I was basically kind of like a middle linebacker trapped in a quarterback's body, but that was my <laughs> mindset mentality. I sure. mean, I grew up idolizing Dick Butkus. Yeah. I mean, what kid in the nineties grew up idolizing Dick Butkus? You know, I wore number 51 when I played, you know, Pop Warner football, but that's, that's how I was, you know, taught the game. And that's how I was kind of exposed to the game from, from my dad and but I really found out I really enjoy coaching the effort and physicality of the game of football where at quarterback you don't really you don't really get a chance or an opportunity because you're more worried about you know coverages and the mental aspect of it and you're trying to protect yourself from from hits and and being able to you know just stay healthy for a whole season where at you know even at wideout now I really enjoy you know coaching that effort part of the game and, sure. and the physicality part of the game that I didn't really know that I would enjoy coaching as much as I have. Do you, this kind of maybe kind of a weird question, but do you ever? It, it appeared like when you were at Nebraska, you basically ended up kind of being the de facto quarterback coach. I mean, when Tommy Armstrong or whoever trotted off the sidelines, that the first person that was meeting him was off, oftentimes you. In, in mm -hmm. some ways, did, did that opportunity maybe come too early for you? Because I'd have to imagine you're 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 way more equipped for that role now. You're probably way more advanced as a coach now. You know, that's kind of an odd way to look at it. But do you think that opportunity came too quick in your career? Um, you know, I, it made me grow up quick yeah. in terms of coaching. And you know, it was a credit to to Coach Beck that you know he trusted me and allowed me to have an influence on those guys and, and talk and see what I saw. Do I know, you know, much more now than I did then? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's just the evolution of, of being in a, the coaching world and, and grinding it out when you're young and, and understanding, you know, effort and time it takes to, to become a, a great coach. But, um, you know, I, it wasn't as much as, you know, I was the de facto quarterback coaches. I was just trying to give them, you know, tips and hints of, okay, this is what I saw. What did you see? You know, how do our stories match? Right. And then, you know, how do we play off it? How are they attacking? Because, you know, it was more of, okay, hey, hey, coach back, they're doing this to this formation. You know, let's, let's think about running this player. Let's get in, you know, these guys in a certain area because the matchup works and, and just kind of relaying that to, um, you know, our quarterback is, is more as it was, we were putting our brains together and saying, gotcha. okay, what do you see? This is what I'm seeing. Um, but I remember when Tommy was, I think it was the game at Northwestern, the night game, Yep. Uh, when Tommy was a young quarterback and he was struggling seeing their third down coverages. Uh, and we built a package of, okay, if it's this coverage, you're playing this side of the field. If it's this coverage, you're playing that side of the field. And he was struggling early, but I could see it pretty clear just because I was starting to get a little bit, you know, more experience as a coach and understanding, um, 
you know, how to translate that to the players on the field. And we literally got to the point where I was signaling him what side of the field to play. Right. And then he'd go play that side of the field. And, you know, we had some, uh, a lot more success, you know, going forward. So, um, you know, was I as ready as I would like to be? Probably not. Um, but, you know, unless you're, uh, you know, basically the boy genius like Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan, there's not a whole lot of guys sure. that are, you know, 23, 24 that are, right. Um, you know, really equipped for that type of coaching responsibility at that type of level, which Nebraska was at. Joe, when when you when you think back on Bo Pelini's time at Nebraska as head coach, how do you mm-hmm. view it now? Like, because it obviously, I mean, you were involved with it towards the end. I mean, it got rocky, it got toxic for a variety of reasons. But the further removed everyone gets now, obviously, Husker fans would die to win nine games a year right now, and that's what Bo was doing, and Bo was winning. I mean, he was close to winning three conference titles. How do you view, now that the dust has completely settled, how do you view Bo's time at Nebraska? You know, I think it was, you know, I, I think it was successful, and, and I think he hit it on the head. I think the further you get removed, you know, much like, you know, Coach Solich, yeah. the further you get removed, the further you see, okay, maybe it wasn't as bad as we made it out to be or that, you know, the end or the world was falling apart like we made it seem at some times, but... Um, you know, like you said, I, I feel like if we don't lose those three conference championships and even win maybe two of them, yeah. you know, I think the story is a lot different. And, um, you know, now being in, you know, the coaching realm and kind of understanding that is, you know, you look at, you look at guys that, you know, win conference championships and, you know, obviously go on and win national championships like Coach Saban and those type of guys. You know, Coach, is Coach Saban's antics really that different than Coach Bo's? I don't think so. It's just... He he's you know one higher at a higher level yeah. than we were able to attain in Nebraska, and you know I think that's probably the what was the you know the turning point was if we were able to maybe win one you know if not two of those three uh, you know I think the the story would be written a little bit different, but you know I, I view it as I was very fortunate that you know he came in and you know helped really save you know my senior season to have to go out in my career on a high note and. Um, you know, be able to have, you know, a little bit better memories of, of my time playing football there in terms of, you know, wins and losses. But, you know, I think you see it's, you know, going from the transition of the Big 12 to the Big 10, that wasn't easy. Um, you know, the Big 10's a different type of football than the Big 12 was. And I, th- I thought we were successful enough, but, you know, obviously, like you said, there were other issues and underlying issues that kind of went into that whole thing that everybody knows about. But I feel like if we were able to win – you know, at least one of those, you know, maybe two, I feel like the story would probably be a little bit different. Joe, take me back to 2007, because I was I actually recorded a podcast with Bo Rude a couple, like a week or two ago, and we, we talked about the quarterback battle between you and Sam Keller, and Bo flat out told me, Joe Gans outplayed Sam Keller, but it was kind of set up for Keller to be the quarterback coming from Arizona State. He had a good game against USC and all that, but that had to have been really hard. Like when you lost out on that job, did you think about transferring? What made you ultimately want to stay? Try to reflect on those emotions for me. Well, I appreciate Bo Rude because I, I a hundred percent outplayed him and, and I don't want to sound like a cocky, like I'm full of myself, but um, you know, I a hundred percent outplayed well, the proof's him. Proof's in, in the pudding, Joe. And, yeah. And like well, camp. you're sure. Sure. But, um, you know, to, to go back to my emotions, I mean, when I was told by Coach Watson that you know, they were going to go with Sam, I, I cried. Yeah. I mean, I sat in his office and I was in tears. 
um, because that's just how much it meant to me. And, and you know the competitor I am. And mm-hmm. I don't like to lose in anything, let alone to be the starting quarterback in Nebraska. That was the biggest competition of my life. And I knew I won it, but it got taken away from me, and it hurt. And I never really thought of transferring because I knew at some point if I just did the right thing and was there for my teammates – and my time would come and I was ready for it. And I think having that sense of security in the back of my mind, I knew that at some point my time was going to come. Right. And I knew that I was mentally and physically ready for it. And I knew I wouldn't let it slip through my fingers. So um, I never thought of transferring because I wanted to do it with the guys that, you know, I put in all that work and time with uh, at Nebraska. You know, those, those bonds that you build, they, they run deeper than – you know, who's quarterback number one. So sure. um, I never thought about it, but, you know, it, it took me, shoot, Nick, it probably took me a week to really get over it. I mean, it was, sure. I remember I called my parents that night. I was crying. I basically couldn't even get, you know, a word out of my mouth. And um, it was it was very hard, uh, but it, it made me, I think what it helped me, it helped me in the eyes of my teammates. I think when I did get my chance to come in, I think they – played a little bit harder knowing what I went through and knowing how I handled it. I think they played a little bit better or played a little bit harder for me because of that. And I think it helped me become a better leader in their eyes that they knew I was there for them no matter what, and they were going to give me everything they had on the field. Let's take a quick break to talk to you guys about Runza. My friends at Runza Restaurants are offering a special coupon code for my listeners on all Runza sandwich and cinnamon roll online orders at Runza.com. You heard that right. Runza sandwich orders. They actually ship a dozen frozen Runza sandwiches right to your front door. And whether these are for you or a friend out of Runza territory, this is a game-winning deal. Go to Runza.com slash ship and enter code Nick at checkout for 15% off Runza sandwich and cinnamon roll online orders. Again, that's code Nick N I C K for 15% off Runza sandwich and cinnamon roll orders. Runza.com. This deal is good for online orders at Runza.com only, but you better hurry. Do it right now. This offer ends October 30th. So get your order in right now. That's code Nick. For 15% off Runza Sandwich and Cinnamon Roll Orders only at Runza.com. And while we're here, I want to talk to you about Pella Windows and Doors. I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And you look at Pella's website right now, and how about this? I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella that won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big time right there. And they achieve that in a couple of ways. You have the insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. You have the types of low E glass, which is glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. You also have the triple pane glass, which is uh, something you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all that, one of the keys is proper installation of those windows or doors, which is key for them to perform at their very best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, 
energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Turn your window and door remodeling dreams into a reality with Pella. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Back to the podcast. How was it? You know, you meant you mentioned how you 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 know you you said you were mentally and physically ready. How how did you do that? Because I struggled with that, Joe. Like I didn't play for two years at Kansas, then sat out because of the transfer rule for the one year at Creighton, and that took a toll on me. Like I actually look back on that, and that was that. I don't know if I ever really found my old self, if that makes sense. How was that for you? Because I mean, it's hard when I mean you can do all the practices and seven on sevens, but it's different when to actually play in a game. How did you stay ready? You know, I I really had a good mentor in terms of you know Zach Taylor really helped me grow up in the mental aspect of football. Um, you know, I I try to help him as much, but I don't think I helped him as much as he probably unwillingly or un, unknowingly knew how much he helped me. Um, you know, he was, he taught me how to be, you know, how to watch film, what to look for, um, you know, how to gain confidence from different things in terms of, you know, knowing where to go with the ball before the snap and why, um, you know, so I was, I was there to help Zach because obviously I was in the offense for a longer time than he was. But I, when I got around him, I just tried to be a sponge. I right. tried to soak up everything that he was talking about, everything that he was seeing, uh, and then, you know, him and I worked so close together uh, on the sidelines as, he, you know, he would come off the field and be like, okay, what would you see? And I'd tell him this and be like, yeah, but he's playing this leverage. What do you think about that? And, you know, we would just kind of, you know, converse like that. And the knowledge and confidence I gained from that, you know, started to, to go into my play. And, you know, when I did get a chance to play in mop-up duty, I was like, okay, you know, this is – I could do this. This, sure. is, this is something that, you know, because I think every athlete when – you come out of high school and then you go to a big program and play, you kind of lose, like you talked about that confidence of, can I do this at this level? Or is this, is it too big for me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, once I gained that confidence mentally, when I went out there and in mop up duty or whatever it was, I didn't care. It was mop up duty to me. That was the Super Bowl, Right. And so I was going out there trying to prove to everybody what I could do and prove to myself. And, you know, once I had that, you know, mental, you know, confidence of, okay, I know what to do. I know where to go with the ball and I know why to go there with the ball. And I just, then I just started letting it rip. And then once you know, you, you hear the Matthew McConaughey, let it rip. I mean, yeah. that's what I did. I yeah. would just go out there and, and let it rip. And to tell you the truth, I think being so bad at the end of 2007, where I knew we had to score a bunch of points where I would make throws that I probably wouldn't normally make in <laughs> right. terms of, right. in terms of like fitting balls in windows and, you know, giving guys shots and having success doing it, I was like, Oh, okay. I was like, you know, I can, maybe I can take a little bit more risks or more chances than right. I was probably willing to do. And then, you know, it kind of just snowballed from there. What, I'm not sure how much you, uh, we've got about 10 more minutes with you and then I'll let you run here, Joe. Uh, it, it, I know uh, I don't know how much you keep tabs on Nebraska still and follow the the program, but Nebraska's quarterbacks are in an interesting spot right now. You got Martinez and McCaffrey. Frost named Martinez the starter, but he basically said, "Hey, we got two first string quarterbacks." And against Ohio State in the first game last week, they both were on the field a ton. From your perspective, Joe, why is it hard to play two quarterbacks? Like you played that position, what is it about that and shuffling two quarterbacks in and out that makes it hard? Yeah, I think it's all about rhythm. Um, you know, depending on, you know, when 
that you know that other quarterback's going to come in. It's okay. Did I have a bad series or a good series? If I had a good series, I want to get back out there and and replicate that momentum, you know, and that tempo that I had. If I had a bad series, well, now I got to sit and wait a whole nother series, um, you know, for somebody else to go play, and then I got to try and get it back in the right direction. So, I think that you know that's the hardest part. And when I was coaching quarterbacks. It, at Youngstown and we were going to play two guys because our starter got hurt. I mean, I would go and tell them, okay, you're going to get the first three series and then we're going to go the fourth series is going to, you know, we're going to go the other kid and then we're going to go two and one for halftime. And that's usually, you know, the end of that, that way they knew no matter how well they did or how poorly they did, that's what they were going to get. And then the other guy was going to go in and then we were going to go back to them so they could mentally plan for it. Uh, But that's the hardest part is, you know, as a quarterback, you, you have, you know, you have every decision in your hands before, you know, after the ball is snapped and you love that feeling. And then when that gets taken away, it kind of breaks your rhythm and breaks your tempo of if you were doing well, you know, I want to keep replicating this, this tempo and this feeling. But if you're not doing well, it's, it's hard to get that momentum back. Sure. So I think that's probably the hardest part of trying to balance and play, you know, two quarterbacks and, uh, you know, I did watch the game against Ohio State, and I thought they did get McCaffrey, you know, introduced early enough where right. they were both on the field. And and as, and I saw some quotes from Adrian earlier this week where, you know, they do have a good attitude about it, mm-hmm. and that's the biggest thing is if they just want to win, they'll do whatever. And and I feel like those two type of kids, that's all they want to do. So I don't think they'll be – I don't think it will be as hard as people think it will be as long as their attitudes are we'll do anything to win – Whatever we need to do to win is, you know, we, we have faith in the coaches to do it. I think that'll be – it'll be a little bit easier of a transition to do that because they're, both their attitudes are so great. From, from a broad sense, and it's hard, especially when you were at Youngstown, I mean, you guys are playing on, the, on Saturday, so you're probably not able to watch in depth every single Nebraska game. But what, what are your general impressions been of Frost here at Nebraska? Obviously, it probably hasn't gone as well as people hoped it would go through the first two years. But you know as a coach, sometimes the difference between a, a 9 or 10 win season and a 5 or 6 win season is smaller than you think. You know what I mean? It's a play here, a play there. Uh, and things can kind of snowball from there. What is what is uh, from afar? What 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 has kind of stood out as you've watched Frost at Nebraska, and what do you kind of like about him as a coach and his offense? Well, I I, I love Scott. I love Scott for the for the job that uh, you know he has, and I think he's a, a such a great fit. You know, in terms of you know not just because he played there and they won national championships, but you know what he's all about. Um, you know, just from from meeting him for a brief time in, in 2007, 2008, and, you know, just have heard hearing stories from guys that have been around him or coached him. Uh, you know, I think he's the perfect fit in terms of, you know, what the culture and what he wants to this, this program to be like. Um, you know, I think they just, they've been so young and they had to kind of rebolster that roster, you know, when coach Riley left that, you know, a lot of these kids have an experience winning at at the collegiate level and you know that's that's a skill as much as anything um you know learning how to win and learning how to keep that momentum week in and week out and understanding what it takes to to continue to to win games back to back to back that you need to to stack up those you know eight nine ten win seasons um yeah i think that's just something that they they just need to get that confidence and get it rolling and then i believe you know scott and the, the leadership that they have on that staff because you know, I, you know, I played with Barrett and I played with Greg and, 
uh, you know, I, I know what type of people they are, and I know what type of, of players and coaches they are. I, I mean, I don't know, you know, uh, you know, many of the other guys on staff, but if they're anything like those two, right? Uh, you know, I know Coach Frost has has hired a tremendous staff. Now it's just, okay, can we get confidence? Can we, you know, get this thing rolling in the right direction? And can our kids learn to win those games where, like you said, it, it's a difference between five and six wins or nine or ten wins and. I think that's just something that they need to get confidence in, but they need to see it happen. You know, you can talk about it all you want, but they need to see it happen and they need to feel that confidence of getting it rolling. And then, you know, once I think that happens, I think it'll be a little bit easier for Scott to get it where he wants to get it. You know, we'll see what ends up happening here with the wide receiver spot this year, but they, you know, Nebraska last year had a hard time taking the top off a of defense, uh, you know, and, and had anybody that could really kind of, uh, catch the deep ball. I mean, I think they really lost, they really missed Stanley Morgan, and and through one game, it, it appears like the same issues are are still there. I mean, it's just one game, but from a quarterback perspective, when you don't have a deep threat, what's the domino effect of that, Joe? Well, you know, a lot of your your timing based passes and you know your little possession passes that you use to to move the chains or to get ahead of the you know down in distance, uh, you know that gets a lot harder. Uh, you know, why? Because, you know, the defense knows it. So their drop, their drops are a little bit shorter. Their eyes get to you a little bit quicker. And if you're not a seasoned, experienced quarterback of being able to manipulate the defense with your eyes to, to throw to spots where you want to throw to, it becomes harder in terms of trying to generate offense where, as you see it, I mean, you see all around college football, really what's winning games is, is dominant defensive line play, special teams, and explosive plays. Yeah. And, you know, most of the explosive plays in college football, especially in the Big Ten, usually come from the pass because run defenses are so good and they're so schemed to stop the run in the Big Ten. Um, you know, you really have to be creative in terms of the way you run the ball. Uh, so it's a little bit harder to get ahead of the chains and not get into second and eights, but to be in second and three because – defense knows, okay, I don't have to worry about somebody taking the top off. I know they're trying to work these intermediate to short zones. I can shorten my drop. I can sit on routes and I can make the quarterback get rid of the ball a little bit later than he wants by taking away certain areas and space that they know route concepts are trying to work. So I think that's probably the biggest, you know, the hardest thing, especially when you're developing young quarterbacks in a new, not in a new system, but in a new throwing system, which sure. I think the new offensive coordinator kind of brought in, that's hard, you know, because he's worried about, okay, you know, this is the play, uh, these are my reads, but, you know, if you're not a seasoned quarterback at being able to move defenders that are staring at you trying to see where you're throwing the ball, if you're not used to trying to move them with your eyes to manipulate them to throw where you want to throw, then those windows get really short, and then I think that's why you see – maybe the quarterback's not being able to pull the trigger and pulling it down to run because that window that they think is going to be there isn't there because they're not used to these yeah, types of defenses interesting. not respecting something deep to take the top off to open up some of these zones. That's interesting. Two, like two, three minutes, show and you're out of here. I, I'm, all, I'm fascinated by play calling. I'm just, I think mm-hmm. it's so, and everyone's an armchair offensive coordinator, right? They think everybody's sitting on their couch or in the stands. They got all the answers for what plays to run, and that was a stupid play call, all that stuff. What's the biggest disconnect that fans may not understand about play calling? Help me out. Oh, boy. That's that's a hard one. Um, You know, I I think sometimes, you know, they just think maybe we just call plays at random. Right. Uh, You know, in terms of not breaking – situational football down like 
you look at a play call sheet and, you know, you'll have, you know, a certain amount of first and 10 calls running pass. You'll have a couple shot plays. You'll have, okay, this is what they do in second and seven to 10, second and, you know, six to three, second and short, you know, third and one to two, all these different segments that you have broken down on your play call sheet for, you know, what the percentages you're going to get um, that they've shown the play and how that kind of matches up with, you know, your offense and what you like to do from a self scout standpoint, you know, on those situations, you know, are you a 90% drop back pass on second and eight plus? Well, they're probably going to play some sort of loaded coverage or whatever it is. Um, so you're balancing back and forth of, okay, what are they breaking you down as? What do they see you do in these cer- certain situations? What do they do in those certain situations? And what's the best play to go attack that coverage or that front or this blitz or whatever it is. And, you know, so there, and then you got 40, you got 35 seconds to call it. So <laughs> right. it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very difficult job, um, yeah. you know, in terms of being able to handle all that and, and do all that. But um, I think that's probably the biggest disconnect is, you know, they, you know, might just think they see the play call sheet and they might just think, okay, that's just a list of plays that they have to call this game. But, you know, you have it all broken down in all these different segments and, and yeah. all these different self-scouted segments of what you do in that situation, what they do, and, and how you're going to go attack. And then, you know, you hope you're right, you know, because obviously the defense has, you know, the same type of scouting reports and all that stuff. And, you know, they're trying to break their tendencies as much as you're trying to break yours. And so it's, it's a true ch- chess match where when you do have that quarterback who is an extension of the offensive coordinator – on the field and he can get, cause he always has the chalk last right. quarterback always has the chalk last. So he can always make you right by what he sees on the field. But you know, that takes time and that takes a lot of preparation. And um, you know, you, you, th- those guys are very few and far between what one more. And then I have uh, like a little rapid fire thing to get you out of here. It'll be fast. So, but I, I okay. really want to ask you this question. Cause you're a wide receivers coach. Now I, the, the uh, frost said yesterday, they have a saying where with their wide receivers, basically it was like, you don't block, you don't get the rock. And how do you Love how it. do you how do you draw the line on certain guys being more solid and dependable blockers versus guys that are maybe more athletic and talented dynamic pass catchers? You know what I mean? Like maybe you got like player X, man, he's always in the right spot. He's a better perimeter blocker, but player Y, he's bigger, he's faster, he's stronger, he's more dynamic. Like that that's that's hard as a coach, you know, and and figuring out how to. Where to draw the line on going with the better blocker versus the better pass catcher? Yeah, it is. And it's, I think it's a culture and a, and a, uh, basically kind of the standard that you want to set in your room. And mm-hmm. then everybody has to live by that standard. Uh, you know, you can always plug in guys that, you know, aren't as reliable blockers. You can spot them in. Yeah, sure. Um, but I, I'm, I'm a firm believer the same way where, you you coach you coach your your unit or your classroom to the standard you want them to play at, and if they don't play at that standard, then they don't deserve to play on Saturdays because the guys that are doing it Monday through Friday they deserve to play. Right. And you hope that that culture in that room is strong enough to not disparage those guys that maybe aren't there doing everything right, but to elevate their game to make sure that okay, if I'm going to play, I have to do this and this better. Otherwise, I'm going to be stuck playing 10 to 15 plays a game and if and if i'm a competitor i don't want to play 10 to 15 plays a game so i want to play 50 to 60 snaps so what do i need to do to help this team get better well i have to become 
a better blocker. I have to be more reliable, you know, learning the formations or being able to play fast. Whatever it is, mm-hmm. I think you have to have that standard and that culture in your room, and you have to coach to it. Otherwise, kids aren't dumb. You know, they see you playing favorites, and they see you, well, he says this, but on Saturday it doesn't mean anything because he's going to play this guy no matter what. Right. Because, yeah, maybe he is more talented, but Monday through Friday he's not doing what the coaches say. Then you lose the room. Then that's when the culture of your team starts to go down. So I, I understand, you know, maybe at times there's a frustration with, with, you know, coaches that do that. But, you know, I believe you have to co- coach that room that you have to the standard that you want them to play at. And if they don't play to that standard in practice or in the game, you know, they don't deserve to play on Saturdays because that's the ultimate reward. Good the answer. ultimate reward is to get to play on Saturday. But you have to do it right Monday through Friday to earn that right. So. Um, you know, it, but it comes down to the kid. Right. You know, is the kid going to say, I'm getting screwed because maybe I don't block as well, but I'm a better route runner? Well, you better be able to do what the team needs you to do to win. And then you become that guy who, you know, you look at the Brandon Riley's, the Kenny Bell's, yep. the, the Stanley Morgan's, the, the Quincy Anonas that are going to be able to do it both and they'll give it up for the team. Those are the guys you win with. You know, those are the, you don't win with the guy who's, you know, going to take the playoff and, you know, just jog out there and maybe block a corner of safety. And then when it's his time to shine, he's going to run a route. Right. You, know, you don't win championships with those guys. You might win a game or two, but you don't win a championship and you don't set the culture of your team the way you want it to do without those types of guys. That's a good answer right there. That's really good. All right, rap, rap, five rapid-fire questions. You're out of here, Joe. Here we go. All right. Most underrated player you played with at Nebraska was who? Who stands out? Who jumps out Ooh. at you? you Probably Todd Peterson. I, I would I, I love Todd. I, I Todd was a baller, man. Uh, mm-hmm. Favorite game you played in at Nebraska? Ooh, anytime I played Josh Freeman. <laughs> Did not expect that one. What, what's the? Uh, I guess somebody we could, given the the history there. What's What's the number one skill you want in a quarterback? You go. You're building the perfect quarterback right now. First skill is what? Mental toughness. Favorite Bulls player of all time, not named Michael mm-hmm. Jordan. Ooh. Um, all right, well, I'll take Jordan and Pippen out of it. Uh, okay. I'm going to go with the Croatian sensation, Tony Kukoc. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> all right, last one. And I, I mean, I've, uh, I'm, I'm, I know all these guys. So of all your former teammates at Nebraska, most fun person to party with is who? Oh, oh boy. You got some party animals in that crew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with a trio of – Sean Hill, Bo Rude, and Corey McCune. <laughs> good I'm going to go, go with that trio. That's a pretty good trio right there. Uh, Joe Gans, hey, Joe, I, I kept you a little longer than I said I would. I appreciate your time. It's been fun to follow your career. Best of luck at Northern Iowa and stay in touch, partner. All right, Nick. I appreciate it, man. You too. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese Runza. Delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.